Hello, everyone. Redcoat here. Sand here joins him. And we're back for another podcast. We're going to be building off of what we did last week. Yep. Uh, for those that haven't listened to it, now would be an excellent time to pause and take a listen because it's going to be very important for the discussion we're about to engage in, which is discussing game genres. Now, as you may recall, or if you just listened to it, at the start of the previous podcast, we talked about the impetus for that one being our discussion about game genres and how we find many of the terms for them to be fairly ambiguous and kind of useless. Like, what is an action game? It's a game where you take actions. What what does it mean to take actions? Hmm? Or, you know... Action adventure, action slash adventure game. Yeah, what is that supposed to mean? Yeah, like it. it I mean, the thing is that these terms, like the, anyway, it's it, like trying to describe your meal in terms of well, I had grains and fruit. And it's like, well, what what kind of fruit did you have? It, it was it was fruit. Fruit. And you look at a menu, and it's like this menu item is bread, meat, and fruit. And you're like, yeah. what? I was like, bread, meat, and fruit. Can you say anything else? The fruit is sliced. <laughs> and it could very well be like a BLT because yeah. a tomato's a fruit, <laughs> right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not useful, and that's how I feel about game genres: is that they're so ambiguously wide open as not be useful anymore. So we, we began discussing the topic and then took the gigantic segue of figuring out how we need to discuss the topic, as you may recall from the previous podcast. In our previous podcast, we defined the concept of games as a composite experience. Mm-hmm. Um, games are comprised of multiple elements where we have two elements that come together to reach a third. So you have the mechanical identity of the game which is how does it play? Uh, how do you interact with it as a player? Uh, and then you have the Narvazod, which is the narrative, the visual, and the audio. How is the game presented to the player and how are various elements of the game influenced that way with the plot, the uh, sound, and the visual style and other elements of that. And then you have the theme, which is what all of these are working towards. What are these working to- together to get to? Yeah, the sort of the core of the composite experience is the theme. And so with that in mind, now that we had come up with these different parts of the game, we had to ask ourselves, okay, now that we've done that, what are we going to look at to define what a game's genre is and make it so that when we look at a game, we can non-trivially say it's a this, 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 and that actually gives you an idea of what the game is. Yeah. So it's important that you said this three times there. And uh, the reason for that is in our discussions, we realized that games don't have a genre. They have three genres. They have the mechanical genre. So you can describe games with like mechanics Mm -hmm. and those form genres. And then you have the Narvazod. And what does that fall into? So, for example, you could have a game that is a horror Narvazod. Yeah. You could have another game that is yeah. like a survival game yeah. Narvazod yeah. that use similar mechanics. Yeah. So one of the things about that Narvazod genre is that oftentimes if you look at the different genres that show up in movies you can usually find something very similar there. Yeah, kind of a parallel. Like you have the spy thriller, like uh, Bond or whatever. Yeah. And that will have some corresponding thing that you can use to apply it in... Uh, yeah, to to apply when yeah. describing your Narvazod. 
Well, yeah, continue. Well, and, and then you have the, the theme genre, which is the overall combined game experience. What are they trying to work towards? Because the mechanical genre is kind of its own thing. It allows you to compare games mechanically. Mm-hmm. The uh, Narvazod genre allows you to compare games on the Narvazod. Yeah. And then the theme genre is kind of more of the overall gestalt of the game. Yeah, just what are you trying to get the player to feel and get the player to do in this sort of game? Right, and because it's a relatively straightforward one, horror is a very good example of something that might be a theme genre where there's specific Narvazod elements that are chosen to fit that particular horror theme that they're working towards, and there are mechanical elements that are chosen to work towards that also. So that defines a mechanical genre of of here are mechanics that build towards this horror thing, and so you can break them down, and we'll go into that soon. There are Narvazod elements that you can look at and break them down, things like the mood lighting and sound effects and things like that that are being played to make you feel all uncomfortable. Yeah. And you can say it has horror Narvazod. Mm-hmm. You can say that its mechanical is horror. Yeah. And its overall theme is horror. Yeah. Horror just happens to be one of those that's a bit easier to pull out and separate, but... There's a lot of different ways of, of handling this and where you can see, say, StarCraft II is telling a particular type of story and it uses this set of mechanics mm. and has this overall experience of, you know, a war story. Yeah. Where another game might also be telling a space war story. Yeah. But it's doing it with a different sort of Narvazod and it's doing it with a different set of mechanics. It could be, for example, a first-person shooter that's doing it. Yeah. And is using maybe Star Wars instead of the StarCraft Narvazod. Yeah. So, but they'd both be doing kind of the same thing in a way. Yeah. In, uh, they'd be doing related things, at least. Yeah. Uh, so we'll hit the Narvazod. Like, we've hit a lot about the Narvazod. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to note here was just some examples of uh, some games that have very clear Narvazods and some of the stuff that we would be looking at there. Mm-hmm. So, say, um, Naruto Ultimate Ninja Storm. This is a game that is very striking in its visual and audio presentation. And there's a reason for that, because it's based off of a manga. So it's basically taking its Narvazod from, well, it's based off of a manga and an anime, if anything, more primarily the anime, but it's taking its Narvazod identity from that, and it has the line work, the vibrancy of the colors, how the characters are presented, basically they're characters that are jumping off of the page in color. And that is a part of the Narvazod for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, we would try and get a, a singular term for what that is, but that is not specifically what we're focusing on today. The other example I have is F-Zero GX, which on the Narvazod side, it's about superhero racers in a sci-fi setting. Yeah. And so it's basically sci-fi superheroes. And so this influences everything in the game. You have these very bombastic heroes and villains that are facing off against each other. But because it's a racer, they can only do it on the tracks. But they're in these futuristic cars, and it all comes together to make a very unique experience. Yeah. We aren't going to spend a whole lot of time, though, on the Narvazod because there's so much more overlap with things like cinema. Mm-hmm. That can work really well for this. And games are an experience. And delving into how the mechanical genres are definable helps us find experiences that are similar to ones that we've already had that we like. Exactly. And as well as being able to understand the ways to compare games. Yeah. So on that note, uh, we want to remind you that with the mechanics, there are three elements that we defined in the last podcast, which is specifically you have the foundational mechanics, the core things that you're interacting with, 
um, that if you remove them, the game changes drastically. You have the framing mechanics, which are greatly affected by the core mechanics, and they do greatly affect the gameplay. And if you remove them, the game changes, but not nearly as much as if you remove the foundational mechanics. And then you have the refining mechanics, which they make the game more playable, and they do a lot of things to enhance the experience in a very useful and important way. But if you remove them, you don't necessarily change the core of what the game is. Yeah. So the thing that's useful to understand here is there's a lot of different things that fit into different categories. So what I mean by that is you might have a core mechanic for a game, a foundational mechanic, that's about exploration. Mm -hmm. It's all about trying to explore and find stuff. So your framing is going to be built on that. You might have another game, though, that has a core based on combat, but then has, say, exploration as a frame. Yeah. And exploration, therefore, is a genre element. It's, you can describe it as a genre of a game is exploration that slots into foundational framing or even refining, mm -hmm. depending upon how important it is to the identity of the game. And if you don't know quite where it belongs... One of the best ways of figuring it out is to ask yourself if this mechanical genre of a game, so in this instance we're saying a mechanical genre is a group of mechanics that work together to form some coherent piece of gameplay. Yeah. Uh, if you remove that from the game, how much does it change the game? For example, if you were to mm, look at, say, Sonic, yeah. and you were to remove jumping. Yeah, if you remove jumping from the Sonic the Hedgehog game, you don't have a Sonic game anymore. Well, you have something that has goes fast. Yeah, you're left with more of a racing game, right? Yeah. Because the frame is probably racing. Yeah, the frame is goes fast, but the actual foundation is platforming. Yeah, which we defined platformers as games where your primary form of interaction is through jumping. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reasons for that. And there's a lot of games that use platforming as a framing mechanic. Yeah, oh, there are plenty of games that do that. One of the games that comes to mind is Metal Slug which is primarily a shooting game. Like, all of your main core interactions with that game is there's an enemy there, how do you shoot it to destroy it, and how do you avoid their bullets? Um, but your primary interactions are shooting, and then the jumping is to get you to the next shooting encounter, gets you through different areas, and enhances or shifts some of the effects of those encounters. Yeah. So we had uh, some examples here of one of these core mechanics. is something that we term upgrade hunters. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this term comes from our desire to have a word that is not Metroidvania to mean the sort of gameplay that people are talking about with the idea of your way to progress is to find new stuff that lets you progress. Yeah. And it, it describes the cyclical process of I find the loots so I can progress so I can find the loots. Yeah, and it's important to note that one of the reasons why we wanted to avoid specifically the term Metroidvania was because Metroid and Vania, those are referring to specific games that while many people who are my age, I'm not telling you what my age is, are familiar with those games, the Castlevania series might not survive until later generations. And the same could be said of the Metroid series. And so we want to be able to describe these things with a term that directs you to what it is without you having to actually have previous knowledge of gaming history. Mm -hmm. So there was a set of four different games games that we said, if I remember our discussions correctly, are foundational upgrade hunters. Yes. Um, and the four games we went with, there's two classics and then two 
um, slightly more recent games. The first two are pretty obvious. It's the Metroid series and the Castlevania series. And then we have Guacamelee, um, which was a game that was released on Steam, and I think it got a few ports. Uh, yeah, I think it's on basically every console. Yeah. Uh, good job, you guys who made Guacamelee. Um, I don't remember the name of the team, but good job to you. Porting is a pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, Apotheon, which is another uh, lesser-known game, and it does follow the Upgrade Hunter style of play, but it still functions a bit differently. And if you look at these four games, you realize that they are different, and when you play them, they do feel different. Yeah, they're very different, and the framing mechanics are a large part of why. When you look at Metroid, it has framing mechanics that are about platforming and shooting. Yep. You, um, you jump and shoot in Metroid. Castlevania, probably Symphony of the Night's the, the best example. That's kind of the classic go-to, this is what people think of. Yeah, and, Symphony, of the, well, Symphony of the Night for Castlevania games that are associated with upgrade hunters. Because before yeah. then, they were more um, obstacle course games. Yeah, more traditional platformers. That game has platformer mechanics again. Uh, most of these do. But it also has what we termed as the armory style of combat. Yeah. This idea that you have a large selection of weapons, but it also does melee combat, right? Yeah, it does melee combat. And, um, yeah, it does melee combat and it has an armory. And, I mean, um, well, one of the refining mechanics is leveling up, but that's not necessarily a part of the framing specifically. Right. That I tend to think of leveling up as a refining mechanic. It's part of what makes the game what it is, but if you removed it, you wouldn't really lose all that much. It's true. Um, most games that have leveling up, and at least the bit that I've thought about it since our discussions on this, don't really have it be a below refining. Yeah, generally speaking, the level up mechanic is more of an incentive for the player to do what the game is about. Yeah, it's like I'd never put coins anywhere but refining. Almost definitely. Um, But one of the other big ways in which these games differ are the ways that they arrange their world, what their world looks like. And the way that Metroid's world feels is very different from Castlevania Symphony of the Night, not just from a Narvazad standpoint, but from a mechanical standpoint, the way that it's arranged and how things connect together. Yeah, because one of the things that's uh, important about the difference of how you go through Castlevania and how you go through Metroid is, in Metroid, while you are exploring, and that is a key part of how the game runs, and that is a key part of how you make your progression, generally speaking, your exploration is more guided than it is in the Castlevania series. Um, where there's a specific line of upgrades that you're going to pick up, and that order doesn't really change unless you're sequence breaking, but that's not necessarily the developer's intent. And often, sequence breaking is kind of difficult. Like, you usually need one upgrade to be able to get the next. Yeah. And um, games that break that sequence, uh, that say, well, there are some areas where you definitely need this to be able to get the next one, but you don't always and allow for more dynamic sequence are interesting, but you have to remember they also make for harder experience for players to get into. Yeah. Um, So it's more experienced players that are going to be more interested in that just because there's a lot less wandering around lost when the experience is more directed. When 
the game throws up clear red walls that say, ah, you can't go this way. Yeah. Uh, now, we also have uh, Guacamelee, which has much more of a brawler-style combat system, which is extremely divergent from the other two. Yeah, most definitely, because it's important to note that Guacamelee's melee combat is different from Castlevania's armory-style melee combat, because Guacamelee uses a brawler style, and what that means is that there are generally more decisions that you can make when it comes to beating up an enemy. Yeah, it's not just, do I do heavy attack or, or light attack? It's, well... If I do this particular chain or I have throws in there too and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then Apotheon has, from the little bit I've played it, a much more branching sort of world design. Yeah. Uh, that's more in line with what Castlevania does. Oh, yeah. And it's it's that idea that whereas in a game like Metroid, and uh, forgive me, it's been a while since I ran through Guacamelee, but what I remember of Guacamelee, Guacamelee had a more in common with Metroid in its way that it pathed you through. It kind of guided you from, in their case, technique gain to technique gain. Whereas Castlevania and Apotheon run more off of the idea that there is the world and there are upgrades that you can find, but the order in which you find them is more up to you. Now, you do have certain branches that you're more likely to find first and certain things that you're more or less likely to get to, but one of the big differences there, specifically in Castlevania, is that idea that you're told at the beginning, go kill Dracula. And then you're not really given any much more direction than that. You just kind of start going through and finding everything you need to find. And you are definitely not guaranteed to see everything of the world in that game. Like, more likely than not, the average playthrough is going to see about 55% of the entirety of the design in your average Castlevania game, I'd say. Yeah, and then Apotheon also has that sort of arsenal combat where you've got a lot of different options, but it encourages you moving around them, I think, a bit more than, uh, yeah. than Castlevania does. And it's also slower paced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different mechanical decisions that, while all of these games do fall under the Upgrade Hunter Foundation, the framing mechanics have a huge difference on how they all play. Yeah, and that's to say nothing of the Nar facade, which that is much more easily seen that those are all very different. You just have to look at the color choice, and yeah. immediately they're just wildly different from each other. Yeah. Um, but that is the thing. So they're all upgrade hunters. They're just upgrade hunters with an additional thing, like Metroid is an upgrade hunter with platformer shooter elements. Castlevania is an upgrade hunter with a melee armory style combat. Guacamelee is a upgrade hunter brawler. Apotheon is an upgrade hunter. Oh, I haven't quite figured out what the second one for Apotheon is, actually. But it, it's, it's definitely got armory combat in there, though. Mm-hmm. But it's also important that its pacing is Yes, its pacing different. is slower. It falls more into a not quite, but more Dark Souls-like combat. Yes, and um, that is important. Anyway, we're not going to get into individual genres and stuff here. That's much better served in an article. Most definitely. And I've just created work for somebody. No. Uh, <laughs> but this kind of gives you an idea of the process that we'd go about in trying to define a genre for a game. So there's, there's one last uh, thing that we need to talk about, which is the theme genre, which is, as I mentioned earlier, I believe, the overall experience uh, gestalt that the Narvasad mechanical genres are working towards. Another way of putting it is it's kind of the thesis of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who do not remember how to write an essay and what a thesis statement is, 
A thesis statement is a definition of the content that you expect. So if you're writing an essay about how polar bears are doing, the thesis statement would state you're going to talk about how are polar bears doing on their diet and on land mass and uh, how often do they attack people maybe mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Then you'd write paragraphs about those. So kind of the thesis of a game is the, the theme genre. So uh, if you were to kind of sum up what that game is about, to give you an idea of what to expect out of it. Yeah. And so oh, we have a couple of examples. Yeah, um, and they tend to be a bit more high concept also. Yeah. Hitting F-Zero GX, again, it's a game about racing sci-fi superheroes. All three of these elements are important. So the game's about high speed, it's in the science fiction realm, and it's got that kooky craziness that comes with superheroes. Yeah. All of this is what the game is from a thematic standpoint. Uh, then you have a game like Uncharted, which is a cinematic high adventure experience, kind of like Indiana Jones. But definitely one of the things that's important to note is that throughout the entirety of the game, they want you to feel like you're playing a movie. That's why it is a cinematic experience. Yeah. Um, and the high adventure, of course, is just Drake's never not in trouble. He's just not. It fits into that sort of high adventure Narvazad, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And then you have uh, Resident Evil, the very first one, an explorative horror mystery game because, well, you're in the house, you don't know why you're in there, and most of what you're doing is trying to figure out what happened and why things are the way they are, and you know that almost every interaction in the game is tinged with anxiety. And of course, you're, most of the game you're spending, you're exploring. That's why it's all three of those. And that very cleanly describes what it is. So that gives us kind of an, an overview of mm -hmm. sort of this, this high level process. So again, in figuring out the genres of games, in order for comparison purposes, it's useful to break down what are the mechanics of the game in kind of a, a packaged sense, right? Mm -hmm. So on a old favorite, you have something like Dark Souls, which has, here's the package of the exploration elements yes. of like how the world is described and exploring through it. Uh, we called it a strategic exploration, if I recall correctly. Yes. With the idea that you're exploring in a strategic way. And then you have sort of this armory combat where you have lots of different weapons and figuring out which ones you want to use and which ones fit your playstyle, what options would be relevant now at this particular moment, things like that. That's kind of like the major mechanics of it. You have other refining things like the way stamina is there and stuff like yeah, that. The way, way stamina um, The way the level up system works. I think the way that souls work is kind of more of a framing mechanic. Yeah. Um, the way that death works is more of a framing mechanic. But you can kind of bundle these up into sort of groups, right? Yeah. And you can say, okay, if I took this away, how much of an impact would it have on the game? Would it still feel like a Souls game? So would it still feel like a Souls game if you pulled out, say, the way weapons are upgraded? Yeah, if you pulled out the way weapons are upgraded, would it still feel like a Souls game? And it would feel different, but it would still be a Souls game. Still be a Souls game. If you made us that way where you're stuck with only one specific set of weapons, if you took away the armory, stop feeling like a Souls game so much and start feeling more like a weirdly paced DMC? Well, it, it to some extent? It would basically feel like, I'd say, a greatly shrunk Witcher, actually. Like, mm, like yeah. The Witcher 4, but with, like, a lot less things happening in it. Man, you have some, uh, some amazing psychic powers to see what Witcher 4 is like. Oh, oh, wait. Was that Witcher 4? What was the most recent one? The third one. That was the third one? Yes. I thought that was the fourth. No. 
My brain has betrayed me. It'll do that sometimes. Um, so it was like, well, that's obviously a very important thing. But if you took away the way that map exploration happens, mm-hmm. it would really stop being Dark Souls. Oh, yes, most definitely. The way you explore Dark Souls and specifically just the feel of how that happens, the implications that has on how gameplay works, that is at the core of those games. Yeah. And you can see how different levels have different impacts. Like if you took away the way death works, you would have some amount of the experience. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be completely lost, but it'd really not be quite the same. And it would be more like, say, Skyrim with combat that doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get my digs in where I can, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a sort of idea of as you pull things away, you can see, okay, how much of an impact does this have? And this is kind of a, a good way of figuring out Is this a foundational mechanic? Is this a framing mechanic? And is this a refining mechanic? But it also helps you with defining the genre. Mm -hmm. Because then you can say, oh, well, this game uses this sort of mechanic at this level. And that can help figure out, okay, what are other games that do that sort of thing at that level or at a different level? And and it gives you a way of being able to compare games. Because ultimately, that's what genres are about. Yeah, they're about comparing things and... Really, from a consumer standpoint, the genres are meant to give you an idea of this is kind of the experience that you're in for. Yeah. So for you to see, oh, well, this game has this mechanic at this level of foundation framing or refining, then you can be like, oh, okay, then I like that mechanic. I'd like to see a game built around it at the foundation. Or, yeah, I like that mechanic. I'm happy to see this game using it. Or you can say, oh, well, this game isn't really using this mechanic much, right? If it's at refining level, you're like, yeah, it's there. But it still would be the game that it is without it, more or less. Yeah. "Mm, Maybe if that's something I really like, I'll be kind of disappointed because it's going to feel kind of watered down. Mm -hmm. So that sort of arrangement is a lot more useful than JRPG that encompasses such a ridiculously wide spectrum of things. Yeah. Like, the only thing that JRPG really says is that it's from Japan. Maybe. Yeah. And that, that even that has started to not be true. Like, <laughs> it gives you a broad idea of it's going to use a predefined set of characters in a party style that's going to have some amount of focus on story and some sort of combat system. And is likely to not make sense. Well, yeah. well, yeah, you know that that's uh, debatable. Yeah, that's that's my dig. That's um, my dig. Yeah, that, that's that's your dig for the evening. <laughs> yes, yeah, my um, dig. <laughs> but it's such a broad thing. Or RPG. Seriously, why should the word RPG encompass Skyrim and Mass Effect yeah. and and Witcher Three? Well, it's not only that. It's the fact that RPG stands for role playing game. So what you're saying is, in all of these games, you play a role. Uh. Don't you play the role of something in most games, Redco? Well, you, you play the role of something in almost every game. like Not Tetris, maybe? In Tetris, you play the role of the player who's like, These are blocks! I want to put a story on them! But really, you're not, playing a, you're not putting a role in, in that game. But yeah, most games. Most games, you play a role. Yeah. Tetris is not a role-playing game. No. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but like the point stands in Mario you're playing the role of Mario mm-hmm. in Legend of Zelda you're playing the role of Link yeah you're playing the role of somebody in almost every game that has an avatar yeah and then there is the incredibly ambiguous action RPG <laughs> uh, does that refer to games like Diablo that use a top-down perspective and mashing your mouse button into oblivion controls? Or does it refer to something that, say, is more like Dark Souls or Kingdoms of Amalur? Yeah, and, you know, it's getting back to what we started at at the very beginning, just saying genre names right now, well, I'm going to be straightforward. They kind of suck. 
They're a meaningless mess. So that's why we wanted to try to define stuff ourselves. Unfortunately, it probably won't get the proliferation necessary to really impact things. But hey, I am welcome to being surprised. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, stranger things have happened. So if you think this is a useful method of describing game genres, we invite you to please use it copiously and explain to people uh, what it means. Yeah. And uh, maybe there can be a revolution. And then we can understand what our games are. Yeah. And, you know, think about ways to name different configurations of these, because that's one thing for just getting stuff out there. Yeah. I think if we kept on this anymore, we'd just be ranting. Uh, it, not that we haven't done that already. So yeah. a bit of a preview for next week. We're going to be talking about world arrangements. You might remember that as something that got brought up in this when we were discussing a little bit of the differences between, say, Castlevania and Metroid. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about it, we realized this has a huge impact on the way games play. This is a huge mechanical area that has a lot of significance that maybe isn't talked about all that much. It has a very subtle effect, but we'll get into that next time. Exactly. So uh, yeah. have some patience, and, <laughs> and then you'll see it. So we're going to head to the sign-off at this point. Yep, see you here, signing off. And this is Redco, signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.